This is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. I'd like to thank our sponsors who make our podcast possible. We take our podcast with the ongoing support of Raider and Jason Sikora, our sound engineer. Raider is a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. Iberia Bank and First Horizon, who are now one bank. Two relationship-driven banks, both leaders in the industry, have officially joined forces. The combination of Iberia Bank and First Horizon creates a leading financial services company dedicated to enriching the lives of their clients, associates, and their communities. I'd also like to thank Lafayette General Health, who has joined the Oshner Health family and is now Oshner Lafayette General. As one health system, Oshner Lafayette General will provide expanded services and enhanced care from the familiar faces you already trust. Oshner Lafayette General means more resources to help solve healthcare's toughest problems, reinvesting in our communities, and being further committed to health and wellness. Oshner Lafayette General. Together means more. Learn more today at togethermeansmore.org. Our guest is Terika Smith, owner of Cache Real Estate, broker with Real Broker LLC, and managing partner for Salt Capital Equity Group. Terika is the driving force behind the Madeline Cove Project, a mixed-use development planned for Madeline Avenue in North Lafayette in the University Corridor between downtown and I-10. Home prices will start at $150,000. Terika also has a compelling life story that I'm honored to have her share. She is a survivor, a woman of God, a force to be reckoned with. Her journey is detailed in her book, Frightened, Scared, and Alone No More. Terika Smith, welcome to Discover Lafayette. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jane, for having me. I'm so excited oh, to be here. <laughs> when I started doing research to find out more about you, I was I was overwhelmed. Wow. Um, you're so accomplished and so young. <laughs> Are you still in your 30s? I am. Yes. But I feel like I'm 100. But you do? Yes. Just yes. the days are long. Like, yes. I feel like um, just having, you know, um, an early start in life, right? Feels like you lived in eternity. Yeah. You know, you've seen a lot and done a lot. But um, yeah, I'm still in my 30s. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we have a lot to talk about today. Um, I am thrilled to let you share the story about Madeline Cove. I, I used yes. to work, I mentioned this to you before we started taping, I worked with Upper Lafayette Economic Development for 10 years. And some of the biggest hurdles to overcome are people's mindsets about the right place to invest in. Where should I live? And and I've always looked, especially at North Lafayette, is one of the most desirable areas. It's close to the core. You can get everywhere. It's close to I-10, I-49. You don't really have the traffic problems, and the people are great. And so I just commend you for picking up this project. If you want to talk about that, how you got started, and maybe the background on Madeline Cove, too. It's been there for a while. Oh, yes, absolutely. So um, Madeline Cove um, is a community that started almost 10 years ago, 
Okay, and so Madeline Cove was a community that was um, being developed by some out-of-state developers um, right after Hurricane Katrina. And um, funny story, when I became a new realtor, um, I was going to be the realtor that did the open houses for this community with those particular developers. Yes. And um, for whatever reason, that that. that situation fell apart. Those developers went bankrupt and then the property just sat there mm-hmm. for years. And so um, when I tell you it was overgrown, um, they had garbage, um, tires, it was mounds and mounds of garbage throughout the property. And it was just in the middle of Lafayette, just simply forgotten about. People used it as a garbage dump? Yes, as a garbage dump, literally. Like, it was disgusting. Like, you couldn't even drive back there with um, oh without gosh. driving over mm-hmm. some type of um, some type of garbage, right? How many it, acres is it? Over 15 acres. That is a big piece of property yes. to be left abandoned. Yes, it is. And, I mean, they did a lot of the hard costs, right? Mm-hmm. So they did the, the concrete. They did the utilities. They did the water. They did the sewage. Like, a lot of that stuff was already there. Like, it literally was ready to be built upon. Mm-hmm. And they had it platted um, back then as a 50-lot um, um, community, which means there will be 50 homes. Mm-hmm. And so um, I fast forward and um, I started doing really well in real estate and I started working with a few builders. I started building a few properties. Um, I was um, helping manage Century 21 um, for a short period of time. So um, I started getting that bug of wanting to do more because I kind of felt like I was at a cap already in Mm -hmm. my career. And um, one of the things that um, really got to me was that I realized that there was not a lot of investments going on on particular sides of town. And although it was never said or anything like that, um, people would literally, like as a realtor, I would hear this conversation of, well, are you familiar with the schools over there? Are you familiar with this? And it was like um, extra emphasis Mm -hmm. on the reasons why not to buy in a particular area. Well, I know what it's like to feel like that. I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like for people to walk away from you and act like you don't even exist. I know what it's like for people not to even believe in you. And so um, I um, I had a situation with my little nephew. He lives not too far from this community um, where they had a shooting take place. And um, he witnessed somebody get shot in front of him. And during that time, you know... Um, I wasn't aware of what he would say, but I was talking to him and I'm like, so what do you want to do? Like when you get older, like, what do you want to be? And he was like, I'm going to be a gangster. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Six years old. I'm going to be a gangster. And I'm like, no, you're not. Say, so why do you want to be that? And then I thought about it. That's all he see. And so if he's six years old, Jane, and he's thinking like that, how many other children do you think are thinking like that? Somebody have to be the hero. And so I'm like, okay, I don't want to go to another rally. I don't want to go to another meeting and talk about, you know, stop the the black on black crime. Like I just I didn't want to do any more of that. I was beyond done Mm -hmm. because now I see that this is much deeper than just another 
um, neighborhood meeting, right? And no offense to the people that host those, right? They're very beneficial for those individuals. But for someone like myself who just heard their nephew say they want to be a gangster, I wanted to make sure that he can see someone that he knows that he's have access to, that um, he can be more than that. And so um, Madeline Cove became a passion project. I realized very early on that we had to be able to change the hearts and minds of people because if people instantly think Northside is the bad side, then nobody's going to want to invest any money over there. Mm -hmm. And when you look around the north side of town, you see all type of commercial businesses closing down. Okay, we have a food desert on the university right. corridor. We have a healthcare desert right there on the corridor. And this is the entry into our university. University, right? Mm -hmm. This is where everybody passed. And so for me, I'm extremely passionate about making sure that communities that have not received investment dollars in decades, I mean, decades upon decades, they get the attention they need, they get the love that they need, and they come back into commerce like they should be. You know, um, so Madeline Cove, I literally, Jane, I thought this was going to be easy. The reason why I thought it was going to be easy to raise money was because I work with a very large group of investors. OK, they have trusted me for over a decade with their money to help it grow in real estate. So I'm thinking, surely I just call up. Bob yeah, like, I'm, and, yeah, yeah, like, hey, what's up? Mainly this, men. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, hey, this is what I want to do next. Yeah. Right. And normally it's like, all right, let's go. But um, oddly enough, they was like, look, T, we love you. We just don't think that this is a good investment. No offense to you. No offense to you. We just don't think this is a good investment. Now, I read that. Tell me the number of rejections that you over one right. I read that and I thought that can't be true. Oh no, it's very true. Actually, I wish I would have brought my notebook. I kept tally marks. Okay, like whenever you play cards or whatever, mm -hmm. you go one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> I kept on counting, and during the time I did not count, it would have discouraged me. Okay, but I put a mark by it, and I remembered. And also in that same notebook, I wrote down the very first investor who told me yes. And I have a timeline of my first yes to being able to generate the remaining of the funds that we needed for this community. And so it was not an easy um, sale, as many would think. People think, oh, this is an opportunity zone. You work with investors. They have capital gains. They should put it in this vehicle. And that was not the case. Okay? Well, they have, to, they have to wait so many years. So I guess people, you're saying, if we can back up on mm -hmm. that opportunity zone issue, that's a current thing that was passed, I guess, during the um, Trump, Trump administration. administration. Yes. And I know other people are taking advantage of it in certain situations, but right. investors put up money and then I think they they let the money do its thing. Mm -hmm. And is it after 10 or 15 years, they, they don't yeah. have to pay capital gains on that? On 10 years. Uh, 10 yeah, years. if you okay. leave it there for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So, But you also, um, the way that it works is, you know, you're able to defer your tax your mm -hmm. tax um, obligation, okay? And then once you defer it, then it's able to be reduced after a certain period of time. And then right. after it's reduced, if you leave it in there for the 10-year period, then it is... It's it's way which right? is good for you. Yes. Yeah. Well, this and this is the, yeah. This is the thing, Jane. Investors have nothing to lose when you're doing it like that mm -hmm. because you have to pay your capital gains, right? Uncle right. Sam wants the money, right? So either you're gonna give it to Uncle Sam or you can put it in a vehicle and do good and do good, right? right. Help bring communities back into commerce, mm -hmm. all right? And then receive all of your money on top of more, right? Back in. 
10 years mm -hmm. if you want to leave it there. You know, you have five years, seven years, 10 years. You have periods of it, right? Um, the, the issue was not so much, I believe, of them, you know, placing their capital gains. It's really, they did not see uh -huh. the vision for Matlin Cove. Now, how I look at it is capital gains, if you give it to the IRS, you get nothing back. They're not going to say, thank you, here's some dividend. Like, they're not doing right. that, right? right? At least you have a chance and opportunity with money you was just, I'm not going to say throw away, but mm -hmm. you know, the way our government's spending right now, right. throw away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you pretty much can put it inside of a vehicle mm -hmm. and allow that vehicle yeah. to be able to help others. Which was the point that Trump saw yes. as a real estate investor. Right, right. right. And so um, a lot of investors just did not see it, right? But it's because their hearts and minds wasn't mm -hmm. changed. Let me ask you, please, where are most of your investors? Are they Louisiana-based or are these people around the They're country? They're around the world. So they, they, they kind of know the game. They yeah. know what's going on. Yes. And you still kept on pushing, even though all these experts, I guess, people that had made it, not yep. that you weren't an expert, but I'm, yep. I'm sure you were dealing with older I'm people. I'm an expert up until they don't want to invest into something. Yeah. <laughs> they invest into everything else I brought to them and proposed over a decade. Mm -hmm. You know, um, 30, 40% ROIs on portfolios. But this was one that was like... And this is what everybody's been working for. I know in Lafayette, and I'm assuming Lafayette's around the country and the world, we want to see our core neighborhoods revitalized. We want to see sustainable housing built. We need affordable housing. We need, we need, we need. But we need to bring point? in mixed-use developments, yeah. and yet you're yeah. sitting here beating your head against the wall. Yeah. No, absolutely. And Lafayette has a lot of money here, okay? Um, Louisiana has a lot of money, all right? Um, and so what I would say is this. It is very hard pioneering a project whenever it's not a heart and passion project for everyone, mm -hmm. Right. Um, and you're absolutely right that, you know, these communities need these projects, but it takes not just me. It takes a lot of us we mm -hmm. from communities all around the world, you know, um, to be able to say, hey, we're going to do our part. We want to do this. Now, everybody is not into revitalization and that's OK. There's nothing wrong with that. But the people that do invest. OK, mm -hmm. The ones who have capital gain and can give to Opportunity Zone, I think the best use of those funds is to go into underserved communities that don't receive investment dollars and try to revitalize. The reason why people in um, low-income communities, Jane, um, do what they do is because they have no options. If you look in the inner cities, okay, you're going to see liquor stores and all type of um all type of, I would say, um, you'll see different types of commercial that's not very beneficial to the community. Right. Let me just say that. Okay. You and don't so, see like fresh fruit stands and you see like yes. Dollar General mm -hmm. or liquor stores or yes. I guess gas stations. Yeah. You definitely don't see fresh fruit stands though. Yeah. Like you see exactly what you said. Um, you see McDonald's, you see Burger King, you don't see any healthy food options. You don't see a Whole Foods. You don't see things that I believe would, you know, make communities better, right? And so I believe that we all can do so much together than we can mm -hmm. apart. Mm -hmm. I do believe that. And I believe that um, we have to look at what, 
you know, what a lot of these communities are in lack of. And I think Dr. Jeffrey Stewart with UL is phenomenal mm -hmm. with, you know, um, helping work on the, um, you know, the plan for North Lafayette. I think he's doing an amazing job with, you know, the task force that I'm on with them. And I think that a lot of the ideas that they have would bring, you know, mm -hmm. the right attention because the biggest thing in Lafayette is culture and community. Right. And so those two things together makes people feel a part of something. It makes people want to be involved. You mm -hmm. know, um, I just think that it has a stigma. Well, I, I want to say, you know, everything that you're saying is what separates you because you understand the vision of what could be. But the other distinguishing factor is that you have boots on the ground and you are digging, you know, you're, you're, you're doing the shovel yeah. ready project. You're getting it ready. Yes. To, to show people yes. what can happen. Yes. And so there's so many people, I think, that would love to live in the heart of Lafayette, especially if home prices are starting at 150 I mean, those are doable loans yes. at the bank. They're under the jumbo size. I that's mean, right. that's something where people can get in and have young families. That's right. And really change the whole tenor of what can be done. That's right. And it's not a flood zone, which is huge here. Right. You and know. to bring these rooftops then will attract yes. more hopefully a fruit stand or hopefully something that's, right. that's people can get to, even if it's on a bus line, they can get that's right. to something. But you'd yes. be appealing more to the working. You're, what is your typical person you'd like to see living in Madeline Cove? Um, the ones that work at Lafayette General in the cafeteria, right? The school teachers, the people that makes below, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars a year and can't find nothing in their mm -hmm. price range and then they have to leave Lafayette and move on the outskirts because they're in a desperate need of a house, but the only place they have one that's affordable mm -hmm. may be Maurice or and no no shade to the you know, to our outer counterparts, right? We love them yeah, too. That's a drive to right. get to work. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so mm -hmm. why not bring real affordable housing to mm -hmm. them? You know, will these be first time home buyers? Some will be, yes, absolutely. I think so, and I think it's going to be some that's downsizing as well. Mm -hmm. That's going to want to, you know, get get out of a lot of house that they have. They just simply don't want to leave North Lafayette, and they're going to want to come into the community because it's convenient. Right. Um, are, are you going to be working with city government for for first time home buyers? Have you talked with community development and? other departments that can help these um, individuals? Yes. yes. So, um, yes. So just so we very clear that this is not a, subs mm -hmm. a subsidized development, right? right? So we are not income-based or income-controlled. Um, we um, are speaking with um, the city of Lafayette, Lafayette about their first-time home buyer mm -hmm. um, down payment assistance program, mm -hmm. which they can get up to about $8,000. It is a second mortgage. Right. Um, that is a way, but I'm also um, looking at a program that they have in Baton Rouge, which is a state program that allows you to be able to receive X amount of dollars without having a second mortgage. So the goal here is not to put people in more debt. Mm -hmm. The goal is to be able to teach them good financial education in regards to true home ownership, because we want for them to be able to sustain the home and be able to right. live comfortably, right. right? So I think adding a second mortgage you know, kind of defeats the purpose of them being able to truly be able to mm -hmm. afford the home. And so um, it is an option, but we're also looking at other options that may be available through mm -hmm. the state of Louisiana. Yeah. 
I used to work um, as an attorney. I, would, I was an assistant city parish attorney with the program you're talking about, mm -hmm. and it was so rewarding to help people. But it was a second mortgage, and I think you had to stay in the home. I don't know the current rules, but five it was like years. five years. I thought it was yeah. 10 years. See, I'm not good with these mm -hmm. numbers like yeah. you are. But I know that for the grant, it, for it to be a grant yeah. and to be forgiven, you couldn't Mm -hmm. sell the home or you'd have to pay back that money so people yeah. some people need to have yeah. mobility yeah the grant so, is perfect if they bring the grant back that would be everything yeah, they didn't know the current rules yeah. Doing. yeah yeah but the second mortgage is the hard one mm -hmm. you know because it's just there for a very long time yeah. and right kind of puts people in a tough position right. sometimes but Gosh. yeah no you're right and they used to have a program back in the day called the Nehemiah program I absolutely missed the Nehemiah program because sellers could actually assist with down payment assistance to actually get home sold so that means we can build into the cost of the home the actual amount that would be needed for a buyer to put down we can gift them that Oh. With the Nehemiah program, well, we can't do that anymore. Right. So, but hopefully, yeah. some of these things will be resurrected. Yeah. So, we didn't get to the point of you did get yes. investors. So, yes. what turned the corner after the hundred rejections? What yes. What happened? The first yes, you know, once I got that first yes, it was like, okay, whew, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> the door opened. Yes, like I can breathe, you know. Um, but of course, it wasn't time to throw in the towel at that time. It was time to turn up the fire and, um, you know, start making more things happen. And so, I mean, we literally would have meeting after meeting after meeting. I would stay out to 11, 12 o'clock midnight, you know, um, meeting with investors, sitting in their houses, having long conversations with them and their wife, looking at their children. Oh, they're so cute. Petting a dog. <laughs> it was just so much, you know. But um, eventually we um, was able to receive enough um, from investors from different places um, throughout the United States. And we was able to acquire the property and um, we're actually funding the property because no banks wanted to give us financing. So are you doing this through the um, SALT Capital? Yes, we're using group. SALT Capital, yes. Mm. And um, SALT Capital is a, um, a company I personally started because mm. I wanted to allow people to be able to have multiple streams of income. Again, I'm breaking that financial generational curse that's been placed upon um a lot of people from the communities who don't don't know how to duplicate their income. Most people live off of one stream. But when you look at yourself, Jane, and your friends, y'all probably have multiple streams, right? I didn't realize there was such a thing as multiple streams, right? Until I got into this lifestyle. So now I have multiple streams. So now I feel like, oh, I got to tell a secret and I got to tell everybody. Yeah. And not that it's Passive really, income. yeah, <laughs> you know, not that it's like this huge secret, but what you don't know, you just don't know, mm -hmm. right? So if we expose people to opportunities, then they can can't say, well, I didn't know. Oh, no, you know now. So Salt Capital is um, a company that allows um, individuals to be able to invest through, um, invest through our company through Reg D, 506B. This was, um, this was put in place by the Obama administration at mm -hmm. the time under the Jobs Act um, that he created. And so with that, we're able to... Um, have investors come and invest into certain properties um, and depending on if they're accredited and are accredited, it determines the amount of investors we can have on any one project. Right. What is your timeline for Madeline Cove for the first part of this, I guess? Phase one. Uh -huh. Yeah, phase one, we're looking at about two and a half years. Um, and that will include what? That's all of components. the single family residents, okay. pretty mm -hmm. much. Um, and then phase two would consist of um, townhouses and or some um, and or some more um, 
residential housing. It just depends on how the market absorbs what we're putting out. Right. I mean, homes have been selling for hotcakes, you know, like yes. like hotcakes. So mm-hmm. hopefully that market is going to just be ready and waiting for yes. you. Yes. Because it's so hard to find a home in this price range. Oh, it's very hard. Yeah. It's very hard. We believe that, um, I mean, we have a lot of interest already. You know, from buyers, you know, um, I have a meeting tomorrow with someone who's ready to build back there. So um, we have a lot of um, activity taking place right now um, at the development. So it's really exciting. Are you partnering with local builders? For what? Like to, for building. Are you doing? No, we're building it. You're doing it yourself. Yes. You're the contractor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Salt Capital, um, we have, well, yeah, so we have, a, um, we have two builders that work with us. Um, up under our organization um, and they have their own construction companies and things like that and so they oversee the project and make sure the subs mm-hmm. and everything is working out right um, but for the most part Salt Capital is the one that's handling the project this is incredible oh my <laughs> gosh you. I mean everything from soup to nuts yeah. you're overseeing yeah wow are you still um, selling real estate outside of this or are you totally focused on this project Oh, no. So I never have all my eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so um, Amy runs our um, real estate office and our property management department. And so she oversees all of our... With cachet, real estate? Yes, and oh. real. And Cajun Couture, which is a consulting company that oh. I have. Yeah, so I didn't she, even have that down in my notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so she oversees quite a few of um, my companies and um, different things like that. And then... Um, you know, we have agents. I have about 22 agents throughout the state of Louisiana because I'm the state broker for Real Broker. And so we have about 22 agents up under our downline um, that, you know, we teach, train and motivate <laughs> to um, go out and sell more real estate. So short answer is yes. Um, but I don't like just I'm not your typical realtor where you, you know, looking mm-hmm. for listings and, you know, selling and things like that. I don't right. do that anymore. But I do um, manage a um, brokerage where we have realtors up under it. Um, and, uh, you know, we do the development. We do the mm-hmm. property management and we do um, rehabs as well. Before we break to listen to a past podcast, just a couple of minutes. Um, how old were you when you got your real estate license? We're going to talk about your early childhood after mm-hmm. the break. But. When did you get your real estate license? I think I was 19 or 20. No, maybe 20 or 20. I don't know how old I was in 2006. I have to calculate. It was 2006. Yes. So right after the hurricane. Right uh-huh. after I came here from Hurricane Katrina. That was a turning point for mm-hmm. you. So we're going to get into that oh, story yes, in a minute. Definitely a turning point. Anything that I didn't ask you about uh, Madeline Cove, I, I guess I didn't ask the size of the home. So yes. you can give people an idea of yes. what you're building. Yes. So um, first thing first is Madeline Cove is a mixed-use community, and it's going to consist of for sale housing, um, townhousing, commercial, um, and, um, of course, senior living. Um, the homes are going to be anywhere from 1,100 to about 1,500 square feet. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a perfect size. Yeah. Too. And um, starting point is at 149.9, um, multi-million dollar project. And with lumber at its best price mm-hmm. in the world right now, <laughs> uh, we all anticipate um, that number probably increasing on us. But we'll keep up with the um, inflation and we'll figure out how to get through it so we can keep these homes affordable for buyers. I guess shingles aren't going up yet, but are, is the market, has it come around to where you can get the lumber and the supplies that you need for building? I know late last yeah. year, people couldn't get 
what yeah, they need. They come around, but I mean, you're going to give an arm. Premium. Yeah, you're going to give your arm, a leg, and a toe, you know, <laughs> because they, you know, they want everything, you know. Um, we have a joke, you know, if you can afford 10, four by fours, you're rich, you know. <laughs> so. It's for people that right are now. wondering, Kelly's sitting here after the hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there was nothing. It was just, oh, it was things were wiped bone. out. Oh, yeah. It was bare bone. Yeah. You know, uh, bare bone. They literally had to pull from all of the regions to be able to, you know, mm. rebuild Lake Charles, which was, yeah. you know, needed. Do you have any properties in Lake Charles? Have you been dealing with that? Yeah. No. So I personally don't have anything in Lake Charles right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. That's probably a blessing. I hate to say it. Yeah. My husband's family's <laughs> yeah. from there, and it's been a struggle to even begin to... Yeah. Define how heartbreaking it is right now. Yes, it is. Continual loss after yeah. loss. So, well, Terrica, why don't we take a break? Um, I like during each interview to look back and look at a, a past podcast that I really enjoyed. And this one focuses on Paul Hilliard. And I think you guys have a lot in common. Um, you're both people of faith and uh, you're scrappers. <laughs> he tells his story. Uh, he's been president of Badger Oil Company or Corporation. Uh, since 1955, and he wow. represents that selfless spirit and pride of our World War II generation of heroes. In 2009, Paul was awarded the esteemed National Horatio Alger Award, and he's also known locally as the benefactor of the Hilliard Art Museum. Let's take a listen. Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't define our early years, uh, especially the first 11 years on the farm with no electricity or indoor plumbing and so on. Uh, that was interesting, but uh, I never missed a meal. My mother was, uh, she was the oldest girl in a farm family of 11. Mm-hmm. And she knew how to farm and she loved farming and she loved uh, domestic livestock. and. Uh, I think all all the chickens had a name, the hogs had a name, oh, the horses, no. the cows. Mm-hmm. I think the carrots probably had a name because she 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 loved all that, and uh, it was uh, it was primitive and it was you know during the, then the depression came along and when I was a, a kid, but uh, it uh, we we were we were fortunate because I didn't miss a meal and I. Uh, mm-hmm. We grew, we grew, we grew most of our food right on the, on the farm, and we we weren't we weren't a rice farmer. You can eat you only eat so much rice or or wheat or oats or corn or soybeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just dirt farmers, and we had a garden, we had fruit trees, we had uh, chickens, and so on. It was a it was a lousy farm. It was only eighty acres, but. Eighty and, acres. Uh, yeah, and uh, and uh, and a lot of that was was uh, not arable land. It was some woodlands and a lot of sandy soil. So it wasn't a picture postcard place, but it was uh, it was adequate. It fed us mm-hmm. until in uh, 1936. <clears throat> one, of the, one of the one of the better events uh, occurred when my kid brother, who was a four year old redhead, liked to play with matches. <laughs> And, and and bless his heart, he he was out by the barn. <clears throat> it was in July, and uh, the, the drought the drought was on. It was 1936, and uh, I was uh, I was 11. I had an older brother who was 13 at the time. He was up in the barn, up in the haymow, and uh, the barn and the, all the hay supply was stacked, and. Uh, so anyway, my kid brother, a four-year-old, dropped a, played with a matches, dropped it, and it was is dry, dry, dry. Uh, 
probably no rain all summer, and that, mm-hmm. that took off and into the hay, and that was gone. And uh, my kid, my older brother, jumped, and and he got out. He said oh, about three good. days later, he, he realized his feet were hurting, so he not, then he understood why. <laughs> but uh, it burned the barn and the hay supply and all that, and burned for I don't know about three days. But uh, so I. But I look back on it, and I, I always refer to my, uh, Wally, my kid brother, is, uh, who's still alive. He's 85, 86, mm-hmm. 86, I think. Uh, is the emancipating pyromaniac. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette. To listen to Paul Hilliard's interview, Terrica Smith's and others, you can go to discoverlafayette.net. We have about 218 other interviews, and so we're building a treasure trove of wonderful people that make our community so special. So let's go back to Terrica Smith. Terrica, we've been talking about your um, your grit in business, but you have true grit in a way that most of us can never, ever uh, understand. Yeah. If you would, if you'd be willing <laughs> to share your story um, that led you here, like about your early life and... Uh, how you survived. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I'll tell you, um, starting off in life, I had a very rough start. Um, I, I think one that um, nobody would wish on their worst enemy. You know, my mother um, was addicted to drugs very heavily. You know, she would leave us in the home for days at a time. You know, the home didn't have water. It didn't have power. We didn't have food. And then my siblings would literally just sit there for days wondering when is mom coming back home. And it was at one point in time, she had left us in the house for three days. Could you imagine being in the house for three days with no food, no water, no power? You were tiny. Yes. I was, I was five years old. Okay. And, um, I remember me and my sister sitting on the sofa and my oldest sister, um, was swallowing a penny to entertain us. Um, and so she would swallow a penny and she would bring it back up. And so we were like entertained, but my baby sister started whimpering because she was very hungry. You know, it's been three days since we ate. And our mother had told us, don't you dare go outside. If you go outside, I will find out. And, you know, um, if they say don't go outside, you just don't go outside, you know, because, you know, one of the neighbors are going to see you. And I remember thinking, if I don't go outside and find us something to eat, we're going to die of starvation. And I don't want to die. And so I remember opening that front door and the sun hit me in my face like it hurt it so bad because I haven't seen daylight in three days. Okay. And um, my heart is beating uncontrollably in my chest and I run to the front yard and I grab the first thing I see, two hands full of grass. And then I run back inside and I'm like, oh God, please don't let me get in trouble. That's what I'm thinking at five years. I don't want to get in trouble. Don't want to get beat again because we were hungry. And so um, I brought the the grass back and my baby sister said, I'm not going to eat this. And I told her, I said, if you don't eat this, we will starve to death. And so we ate grass that night just to survive. And my mother, you know, um, at the time, I didn't realize the um, I didn't realize the trauma she had experienced and the trauma she'd been through as a child. So I didn't know she didn't know how to be a mother. Right. Right. At five years old, you just think your mother is your mother. Right. Right. And so um, it was a time where she literally wanted to get high so bad and she was stealing from everybody and she had owed the drug dealer money and he came to the house and he demanded his money or he was going to hurt her. And I remember like sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, like 
what is about to happen, you know? And I seen her have a conversation off with him. And, you know, um, she called me and she needed me to be a big girl. Okay. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. But when she was like, she needed me to be a big girl, I'm thinking, oh, she's proud of me. Like, I'm going to be a big girl for mama, you know? And so she had told me to go with him and literally everything inside my body left my soul because I knew something was not right about that situation. So there was a fellow... The drug dealer that was there. Yeah, that was demanding his money. Yeah. She told me to go with him, you know? Um, And so I literally, at the age of five years old, had my innocence stolen from me for her fix. And I went through life hating her. I went through life wanting her dead. (laughs) I went through life um, with walls up. I went through life with anger, you know, um, because I felt like the person who should have protected me didn't. She abandoned me, you know? Did you see her again? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when I screamed for her from that bathroom, literally, I went through so much trauma, I would sleep with my hand reaching for the doorknob, Jane, like even as an adult, right? I literally just got delivered from that probably maybe a few years ago. Like I literally, literally my husband would come and put my arm down and tell me, stop reaching. It's okay. And so um, I realized when I got to Lafayette, I had a lot of anger as an adult that I didn't deal with because Mm -hmm. when my mother sent me through that cycle of my life, I ended up in foster care. Well, in foster care, they tell you, you're going to end up as a statistic, right? Meaning you're going to be on drugs just like your mother was, okay? You're going to end up pregnant by the age of 16. You're going to be a high school dropout, and then you're going to be homeless. That's the life they give you as a foster child. Well, I had an issue with that, okay? But at the time, I had so much anger and hurt, I wouldn't let nobody in. I didn't want nobody to hurt me again, right? And so um, by the time I was 16 years old, I was pregnant. I was 17. I had my child. I was homeless up under the Claiborne Bridge in New Orleans. What, what age do people age out of foster care? You're supposed to age out. Back then, they emancipated me at 16 because I stayed on runaway. They should have never emancipated me from the system. Never. She didn't want to stay with the people that... Well, because I had foster parents that would abuse me, like literally fight me. They was in it for the check. So they were not good people. So if I, um, like I vowed to myself, nobody would ever hurt me like my mother did again. So I'd be damned if I allowed these strangers to put their hands on me, you know, and that was just who I was, you know, like if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Like there was a point in time where one foster mother had beat me with a baseball bat and I literally took a knife to her throat while she was sleeping. I told her I will kill you. That was 12, you know. And so, again, going back to that moment when I was homeless with my son, I'm like, God, I don't want to be here. Like, I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm tired. My whole life I had to fight. How much longer do I have to fight? Like, how much longer do I have to fight? I didn't ask to be here. You know, I didn't ask you to give me the parents, et cetera, et cetera. And you didn't do anything wrong. No, I didn't. But at that time, the ugly that somebody else did to me, I was caring, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And so whenever I had Tariq, which is my son, okay, um, I made him a promise that he would never end up in the system like I did. You know, we may have been homeless at that time under the bridge, but this was not going to be forever. You know, and I said, as long as I have air in my lungs, 
I will fight. <laughs> I will fight. I will fight to get from under this bridge. I will fight to give him a better life. I will fight as long as I can possibly fight. Like, you're going to take me out fighting, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm street strong, right? A lot of people hear my story and they'll be like, wow, how did you make it? I, I just believe God made me street strong. Right. And it allows me to be the person I am today to do the type of investments I do today because of the type of things that mm-hmm. I went through. Um, and after I had Tariq, I got pregnant again at 18. Then I had my second daughter at 19. So I literally I mean, you know, I literally been, you know, a teenage mom my whole life now. You know, um, my my son turned 18 this year. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and so. Me dedicating that street to him and Madeline Cove meant everything. Oh. Yes. So we named the street after him. I didn't realize that. Yes. Yes. My partners um, put their son names up there as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, for me and Tariq, it was very sentimental because I fulfilled that promise. Mm -hmm. Like, I did it. Like, I may have missed um, a few graduations. I may have missed a few birthdays. I may have missed a few important dates in his life. But I did keep my promise to him as hard as it was. No one's hurt him. No. And he understands and he appreciates that. And so um, a a lot of the times when you go through struggle and when you're surviving, Jane, you don't know how to dream. And for children in these communities, they go through the exact same thing I'll Mm -hmm. go through. They just keep it a secret. And what I think is important for people to understand and realize is that just because you are surviving don't mean you cannot dream. You just have to have somebody to dream for you. Yeah. And that's what Madeline Cove is. It's a dream for the people in the community. It's a reason to give people mm-hmm. um, a why of why they want to be on the north side of town. You know, I'm fighting for a grocery store over there. I'm fighting for a medical clinic. I mean, they're squeezing walk-in clinics all around the south side of town. And we just need one. We just yeah. need one. Is you the know. is the remodel of the old community health care clinic, is that going to help? You know, it's at Johnston and Jefferson. It's yeah. not really right. by where you're building. No. I mean, it's so. accessible, but it's not right yeah. there if somebody needs to get there quickly. Right. If the bus isn't running or something. Right. It's yeah. a start. It's a start. It's definitely a start. it's a big a investment, but yes. you're talking about right yes. there off university. You mm-hmm. want to see these yeah. things happen. I want, I want to be able to know if a train is passing, Jane. And you're on the opposite side of the train that you can get health care. And until that is answered, we still got work to do. Right, right. I am, um, I don't even know where to start with questions. Your your story is is so inspirational. And I'm just trying to put all this in my mind about you getting, moving here after the hurricanes, Mm -hmm. after Katrina. Yeah. And then getting an education yeah. Did you have family here? What no, brought you here? No, Lafayette is my family. I love Lafayette. It, you came here because we kind of had we had open I knew, arms. I mean, a lot of people did come here. I knew nothing of Lafayette. What I knew was that this, okay, we were trapped in the city for three days and nobody came and gave us water or food, okay? What I know is that they showed us looting and showing the after effects of being hungry for three days. 
I don't know why that three days is important. I know, just, it is. That yeah. just hit me again. It's um, such a parallel to Yeah, it life. is. It is. Um, but again, during that situation, a second promise was made, and that one was made to God. You get me out of this situation, I'll never rely on the government again. Because at the time, I had welfare, food stamps. I mean, we was eating shrimp and steak. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we was happy. Um but I realized I couldn't even protect my own children from a natural disaster that mm-hmm. all I needed was transportation. How did you begin to dream? So um, one thing about me, and I think that this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Whenever my innocence was taken from me at the age of five years old, I literally went to a place called Terryland. And Terryland was a place where children was happy. They had their parents you know, um, it was a place where mothers would give their children lollipops. It was very colorful. It was very pretty. And so during those hard times in my life, I literally would travel to Terryland inside my head and mm-hmm. it would it would revitalize me. It almost like it brought back the life in me that I was missing. And so... Did you go by Terry as a child? No. Um, actually, my daddy name is Terry, and okay. I'm Terrica, so I'm right. named after him. But that was your Disney World in your mind. Yes, uh-huh. it was. It was It was such a happy place, uh-huh. you know. Um, and I now I look back and I realize that that was the protection of God protecting me from all of the trauma that I experienced at that time and other times in my life, you know. Um, that wasn't the only trauma I experienced. That was the one that started other traumas, you know. Right. And so um, with that, you know, um, I learned how to dream because I knew that I wanted to be better than the person that brought me into the world. Mm-hmm. And so and break that cycle. Yes. And knowing that I wanted to be better when I got pregnant with my son, Tyreek, I literally was traveling, selling magazines around the world, going door knocking. And I would see these rich people. I mean, filthy rich. OK. These huge mega mansions. And I would just simply say, what do you do for a living? And they all said real estate. (laughs) Like some part of real estate they was Mm -hmm. into. Whether it was mergers and acquisitions or developments or, you know, builders, whatever. They just were into real estate. And I'm like, oh. Hmm. So I didn't realize that experience when I was 16 years old and traveling, selling magazines, that I would end up into Mm -hmm. real estate. But I knew that once I got out of New Orleans, I needed a career. And the Mm -hmm. first thing that came to my mind was real estate because I'd seen all of those people with those big houses. And I said, I can have that too. Mm -hmm. I know I can have a big house, you know? So, and now we have a big house. (laughs) Did you have to have a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. So you did you get a GED or did yes. you go? Yeah, no, I finished school. So I was in and out. But um, the good thing about New graduate. Orleans is, yes, mm-hmm. the good thing about New Orleans is a lot of the children in the public school system struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so they have a lot of programs that help you get through school, you right. know, um, and that was a huge accomplishment for me was being able to finish, you know, because mm-hmm. um, Look, I'm a statistic breaker. You tell me a statistic and I'll break it if it's important to me, right? So it's important that I graduated. Um, I did not break the statistic of being 16 and pregnant, but guess what? My children did not end up in the system. Right. And so. that's all you need to, to go study for the um, realtor's license. I guess yes. you got your start yes. as, a, so as you, a realtor. Yes. You just need a high school diploma or a GED. Mm-hmm. That's it. Did it come easily to you, the um, real estate no, nothing, no, nothing came easy to me, Jane. I failed the real estate exam seven times. 
snot boogers and tears okay driving back and forth from baton rouge to lake charles because i thought the test would be easier in lake charles and then i go to baton rouge and then i go to lake charles and for some crazy reason lafayette didn't have a test in place here so you literally have to drive back and forth back and forth and at the time the truth be told my power was getting turned off i had to sell my food stamps in order to pay for my psi exam you know what i'm saying a hundred dollars i didn't have that you know so that seven hundred dollars i spent on that was everything but oh i was gosh. the one who i didn't i wasn't brought up around um financial um financial education right mm-hmm. like nobody in my family had financial literacy okay so like for instance i never knew what a lien was i never knew what a mortgage was i didn't even know you can own a house okay i'm used to people saying oh i got to find a rental property or you know mm-hmm. can i borrow some money to the third you know i thought the first and the 15th the third was the way people got paid i knew no different because that's everybody that was surrounded around me right foster parents would wait for their check every month you know um they lived their rent houses so they had to pay landlords like none of that comprehended to me and so i'm literally sitting in burt baker class god bless his soul yeah. and um i'm raising my hand like what is a mortgage and he's like you supposed to be in real estate you sure you want to do this i'm like yes okay, i'm sure i'm sure just tell me once I what it is yes yeah, tell me once <laughs> you know um but so many people was frustrated with me in that class because i mean it, my, my class if they was with me they got a little extra learning let me just say that okay because mm-hmm. i knew nothing in there but it had never been patterned for you like that's your, right. your little nephew that wanted to be a gangster yes, at six right. if, if what you see is not people building generational wealth that's right they're living in generational poverty. That's they, right. No one knows any better. That's right. That's right. And, and just like and gener- that's talking about it in meetings and fixing it. That's right. And just like we pass on generational curses, we can pass on generational blessings. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter is now an investor in real estate. You know, um, she can fill out her own personal what, financial that age? statement. Huh? She's an investor already. Yeah, she's sixteen. So <laughs> I have a holding company. Yes, that. for her. I literally made sure I taught my kids everything I know. So if I shut my eyes today, Jane, my children would know how to go out there and take care of themselves. She's able to sign documents? No, so I have yeah, to no. sign. Yes, <laughs> right. no, I have to sign because she's not 18. But literally, it's her, it's her, it's her company, uh-huh. yes. And she she finds the deals. Like, I don't baby my kids, do I? I do not this is baby incredible. them. Yes, I do not baby them. Like, I'm like, you kill what you eat, okay? So you got to go get it. And so literally, my daughter found a property. She called the... I didn't even know she was doing this because she's around me so much. So she's absorbing everything. Mm-hmm. And um, they wanted money because we was going to California. So she was like, oh, I won't spend the money. I said, well, I'll give you $100 if you come sit in one of my conferences that I'm throwing because I throw real estate conferences here. And so she's like, all right. So she comes sit in there and she found out about um, she found out about wholesaling. She found out about um, rehabbing. She found out about um, equity, like all kind of stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I hear her on the phone speaking with a seller who have their property for sale. I didn't even know she called them. And so she was like, hi, I see your property is for sale. And I was like, yes. They don't even know she's 16. Okay. Well, at the time she was 15. So they didn't even know. Okay. (laughs) So um, she said, "Um, I see you're asking 118. And so um, I guess the person said, yes. She said, okay, well, I'll be interested at 80. What? I'm like, where did she, she get, get the courage that from? Yes. Where did she get that value? Exactly. So I'm wow. like, 
Okay, so she come and she say, hey, Ma, I have a deal for you. She said, I think you'll be interested in this. I negotiated all my fees with the seller, so they're going to pay me for finding them a buyer. She knew how to do that? Yes. From watching you. Yeah, well, from taking the, um, the going class. to the conference, yeah. 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 And so um, I said, okay. She said, yeah, they were asking 118 but I got them down to 80 <laughs> They took it? They accepted it? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, what? They didn't, you didn't, they didn't even get see the appraisal? property. Well, maybe... You yeah. didn't see the property. Maybe so I'm they were like, glad okay. to get that. But I taught her how to run comps. So she was looking in that. Yeah. But the property, this is the kicker. The property is worth 150 <gasps> if it was fixed up. Really oh, nice. But I see. So it was just a dated home. Yeah. Like in magnificent condition other than the flooring. So um, they could probably like, pay their note or just pay off their expenses. It was one it. owner and mm-hmm. it yeah. was. It had appreciated. Yeah. So yeah. it never they, it never left the family hands. So she got it. Um, so she told me she had it for eight. I'm like, all right, we're going to go take a look at it. I go look at it. I like it. Yeah. I negotiate them down even further because I am a negotiator. Um, and so I am a negotiator. That sounds cocky. No, I just like great deals. <laughs> and so we um, end up settling at 65000 because I had to redo all the subflooring in the house. Um, and if they would have done the subflooring, then I would have paid them the full eighty. You know, but they didn't want to deal with it. They no. just let you do it. Yeah, no, they didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. And so um, at the closing table, they said, we just want to commend you on your daughter. Because she was there. Okay? She was professional. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. They said, we have never met a 15-year-old who has worked a deal like that and has remained firm with it. Like, she just remained firm with it. And it was so exciting because my daughter told them up front, I will help you find a buyer. Now she know I'm the buyer. She know I love buying deals. So she already had a buyer in her pocket. It's not like she had to go look for one, mm-hmm. you know? And so now all my friends that are investors be like, hey, have a tell you call me, okay? Let me know if she find anything out there or whatever the case may be. And she's always looking so like- you paid her commission. Oh no, I can't pay her commission. That's illegal in the state of Louisiana. Unless you're yes. uh, licensed. Yes, no, I'm, I'm showing my ignorance. Did, yes. you, uh, did she make money to go on your the trip seller, to California? Yeah, the seller compensated her, which they can do whatever they want with For their her time and yep. effort. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. Yes. Wow. Yes. This is more than I bargained for. <laughs> 16. My daughter Kelly's here. Kelly's 22. And, uh, what do you think, Kel? I mean, this is, isn't this amazing? Yeah. <laughs> do you, um, you obviously love what you're doing. Yes. What is your real love? Is it real estate or is it, um, seems like you're trying to change the world. <laughs> My real love is helping the uneducated become educated. It's simple. Mm-hmm. And the, the um, acts of my labor and everything that I do shows that. So, for instance, you know, um, I know we got to go soon, but like developers board game. Right. And the book and all of that stuff. All of those are things to help people get from where they currently are and okay. get to another level. I will put that in our show notes. Um, what Terika is referring to is the. Um What's the developer's yes, board game? Yes, developer's board game. And you can buy it online, but it helps people learn how to make passive income, yes. especially through life's ups and downs. Yes. So you play it like Monopoly, but you've got different things that can happen to you yes, right on the game. Yeah, like very different than Monopoly because we teach the principle of leverage, which Monopoly don't teach leverage. But it's like a board game like yes, that where you move around. Yes, it is around. a board game. Yeah. Yes, and mm-hmm. you do move around. Um, the thing is when you're moving around the board, you never know what's going to happen in life. And life is the cards that you pull. So it can be good or it can be bad. Oh, 
But then you learn how to leverage your assets. That's right. So, and in the midst of it, you still got to get assets and liabilities. And if you have more liabilities than assets, then you don't win at all. Mm -hmm. But if you win, if you get around the board and you um, generate enough wealth through leverage um, and assets, then you're able to get the keys to the city. Yes. Terica Smith. I didn't realize how much time we had taken. (laughs) There's so much more we could talk about. I hope this whets people's appetite to look up. I I do want to say again, um, Terica did write a book about her early journey. It's called Frightened, Scared, and Alone No More. It's available on Amazon and I'm sure other places. I'll put that in my show notes on the website. But you're your life presence is is um, it's beautiful. I'm so pleased. <laughs> thank you. that we had this time today. Thank yes. you both. Thank you, Amy, too. Thank for you, Jane, being for here today. Us. And Kelly. Yes. <laughs> and I want to thank our listeners. Um, this is what makes Discover Lafayette so great. We really have a gold mine of talented people in our community, and yes. I'm so I'm so thrilled to have you here and to know that you moved to Lafayette and you've stayed here. So, oh, I love Lafayette. Yeah. I love thank Lafayette. Thank you for what you contribute to <laughs> yes. all of us, but especially North Lafayette. And before we close, I'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, Iberia Bank, which is now a part of First Horizon. Oshner Lafayette General, thank you so much. And of course, Raider, and in particular, Jason Sikora for mixing our tape and making it sound professional. Thank you all for keeping our show going. I'm grateful. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift. 